Good evening. So this week I've had um, the pleasant experience of having my final day at college. My first year of, um, of my three-year course is, is now over. And um, as long as results are good enough, I'll be starting again my second year in, in September. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for the summer, things are done and it, it's flown by. And I was sort of reflecting this week and I thought, what have I, what have I learned um, from my, my first year in ministry? And there, there's, a, there's a, couple of, a couple of lessons that I've learned that will stick with me. But it's been a difficult week this week because... I was, I was at South Green this morning and I knew I was, I was, I was here this evening. And sometimes it's really hard to prepare a sermon, to preach about good news and salvation and hope and trust. When you live in a world where you look around and you just struggle to reconcile the two. You feel like you're preaching a gospel that simply does not fit in to the world and so, even this afternoon, I was, um, I was still unsure what to preach on. And after a, a, a wonderful meal at um, Maison du Mason, um, I, was, I was laying in the back garden, enjoying the sunshine, and I, I was thinking, what, what, what is there to say tonight? What, what's God saying to me? And eventually I decided that in these times when we struggle. In these times when we cannot reconcile the good news of the gospel with the world around us, it's often helpful to go back to basics and to remind ourselves why we believe what we believe. Remind ourselves exactly where it is that our hope comes from. And so there's a passage that's going to come up on the screen and it's from Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to we're going to just take a look at verses 19 to 25 this evening to remind ourselves of the the reason why we are here, the reason why we do what we do and we believe what we believe. Going back to the couple of lessons that stuck with me for my first year in ministry, um, the first one. Um, the first lesson that really stuck with me and I think will probably stick with me for um, the entirety of my, my time in ministry for the rest of my life um, is that it is not a smart idea to start a half-hour sermon five minutes before the service is due to close. That's a lesson I learned in the last evening service that I took here. So apologies to those of you who are here. Thank you for coming back and I can assure you that um, that, that lesson was learned and I won't be attempting that again this evening. You'll be pleased to know, won't be stuck in here um, beyond 8.15. That's my, that's my cut-off. You can have confidence in that. But we can't have confidence in everything, can we? For instance, um, when we were told on our last afternoon at Spurgeon's that lectures were due to, to, um, to recommence at quarter to two, we were told, right, you have lunch, if you want to you know, play football on the lawns or, or just sunbathe for a bit, that's fine. Lectures start quarter to two, all right? Don't be late. We know it's good weather. We know it's, it's some, of, some of the best weather we've had this year. Don't be late. We can't have confidence in people because um, it didn't take too long for, for a certain group of students um, who shall remain nameless 
to begin saying that people have misheard and that it wasn't quarter past a quarter to two, it's quarter past two. It's okay, just, just have the extra half hour sunbathing. And it's amazing how quickly people put their confidence in us, I mean, in, in those unnamed students. <laughs> and how suddenly at, at 10 to 2, there were one or two rather worried lecturers coming, coming around saying, hey guys, what are you doing? Come on, lecture started five minutes ago. And um, it was then that people realised that maybe them, their confidence had been misplaced. The writer of Hebrews, under the heading a call to persevere, which I feel is appropriate for these times in which we live. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that passage reminds us, doesn't it, that we have confidence, not in our government necessarily, not in other leaders throughout the world, not even in leaders within a church. We have confidence, not even in ourselves. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, to come into the presence of Jesus. Confidence that comes by the blood of Jesus. Confidence that comes from the prophecies that were made about Jesus. Confidence that comes through those prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. Confidence that comes through the teachings of Jesus that even now form the the, the fabric of our society. Confidence that comes through the willingness with which Jesus went to the cross because he knew that a sacrifice had to be made. He knew that blood had to be spilt and that no animal, no bird, no nothing was sufficient except for himself. And so we have confidence because our God is not some distant deity who demands worship and does nothing for us. Instead, our God is a God who put himself in our place, who put himself in our world, who put himself through the the trials and tribulations of life, who knows what it is. Elsewhere in Hebrews, we're told that, that that Jesus suffered in every way, 
There's nothing that we go through that Jesus cannot identify with, that Jesus doesn't understand. And so our confidence is by the blood of Jesus. What does, that, what does that blood do, though? What does that blood give us? That blood allows us to draw near to God. In verse 22, with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. When we have a baptismal service and, and someone is, is literally submerged into the water and then drawn out, They've been saturated. They've been fully submerged in the water. They've been, they've been cleansed. We talk, about, we talk about a cleansing. Not that there's any, any, any spiritual hocus pocus with the water, but because it is symbolic of what Jesus went through. The water is just water, but the Holy Spirit honours honors us when we follow Jesus' example. As we come before the communion table this evening, we are following Jesus' example. We should be excited about taking communion, about sharing communion together, as we are about a baptismal service. It might not seem quite as fun. Someone doesn't get sopping wet. We don't have the big pool open. But you know what? We're following Jesus' example. We're following his instruction when we come and share communion together. In fact, we should be, we should be even more excited than we are about baptism because everybody has, has the chance to share no matter how many times we've, we've shared communion before, we can always, we can always come and share it again. We have one baptism, but we have many communions. It cleanses us from a guilty conscience. We have our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 goes on, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Jesus stuck unswervingly to the task that, it was, that was there for him, to the destiny that he knew had been set aside for him, to the path that God had for his life, the plan. And of course we read in Jeremiah, which was preached on last week, Chapter 29, verse 11, God says to Jeremiah, I know the plan I have for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. That's, our, our, that's where we place our faith, our hope, our trust, our belief, our absolute certainty, is that God promises that he has a plan for us. And even though we can't see it, even though we're not, we're not privy to these, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the secret information, the, the private information that God keeps. He doesn't reveal his plan to us. He lets us work it out for ourselves. There are certain mysteries in life and at times that can be incredibly frustrating. But the plan is not to harm us. The plan is never to harm us. And so as we live in this world full of challenge and full of what feels like contradiction to the good news of the gospel, we need to take on board what the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 24 and 25. 
Let us consider. Let us give serious consideration. Let's not just read the words. Let's actually meditate on this, think about this, pray about this. How we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How we can spur one another on. This is not a call to a a corporate uprising. This is a call for, for one Christian brother or sister to another. Putting an arm around the shoulder. Lifting spirits. We're all in this together. We live in a country where there's, there's almost a poisonous sort of atmosphere at the moment. The, the, the threat of terrorist activity hangs over us. There's, there's many people who, who won't dream of going into London at the moment. They're fearful of going to certain places. We believe in a, in a saviour, in a God who reigns supreme everywhere. There is nowhere that we can go and not be in the presence of God. And yet there are areas of our country that some people fear to tread. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not responses of of anger or hatred or division. Instead, love. Love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. We should, we should be the most encouraging people that the world knows. We should, be, we should be so proud of our faith, so proud of our saviour. We should be the sort of people that, that, that our friends and family look forward to seeing because we are encouraging to be around. We are uplifting. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You would have heard it said before and you'll hear it said again that no one knows when that day is. No one has a clue. It's not like the end of a lunch break at college where you have a fair idea but you can kind of try and manipulate it into being half an hour later. We can't manipulate the second coming of Christ. We can't manipulate the day of judgment. We, we simply cannot second guess. And so we have to be ready at all times. We have to be prepared. We have to guard our hearts. We have to look after one another, keep an eye out for each other. We have to make sure that we are encouraging, that we are uplifting, that we are doing everything we can to bring those who don't yet know Christ to Christ, to build build God's kingdom. That's the mission that we are given. And we have to make sure that the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father is maintained. One of the ways in which we do this is through communion. And just before we, we sing, before we take communion together, on Wednesday evening I returned home from college and Timothy was standing at the end of our driveway, my little boy. He's four years old and he was standing there. And he had a big smile on his face. And there was something different about the house. And... He said, Daddy, this is your Father's Day present. And I noticed that um, the driveway, which has been sort of jet black for several years now, was pristinely clean and fresh and bright and shiny. It looked incredible. There's a pattern under it. I never knew. I've forgotten. And you see, 
Jet washing the driveway has been on my list of jobs that Joe keeps. Um, I've, I've given up doing the job, so I just find they just... you take. She crosses one off, another one gets added on. It's almost like a game, so I just think, if I just don't do any, then nothing changes. That's, that's good. Um, but it had been done. Uh, Timothy, Timothy had decided that he, he'd like, for Father's Day, I think Joe had something to do with it, um, to get the, get the driveway done. And it struck me that... That driveway, when we first had it, had it laid, it was all nice and pretty and new and pristine, and I was proud of it, and I loved it. And when people came round, they said, oh, I like the driveway, it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, I wish mine looked like this. A couple of years later, when I'd driven over it a hundred times, and, and other people had, and a bit of oil had been dripped on it, and, and, and different weathers had come and gone, and road muck had been blown on, it was no longer shiny and pristine and nice. I still used it, it was still there. But I no longer really took any notice of it. I just walked over it and drove over it and that was that. Jesus is our driveway which allows us to walk into the presence of God. Sometimes our relationship with him can become tarnished. It's still there. It doesn't leave us. The the driveway doesn't cave in or anything but it gets covered in the muck and the obstructions of all the hassle that can go with life, that can even go with church. So as we sing this next song, I urge you, pressure wash your driveway. Just remind yourself of that beautiful thing that lies underneath, that precious, precious thing. And then, once we've finished singing together, we will join in communion. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. Make this your prayer as you respond to the word. Draw me close to you, never let me go.
draw us close to you, Lord. Never let us go. Purify our hearts, our mind, our body, and our soul, Lord. Help us to be heated vessels ready to be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we share the elements together, let us give thanks. Lord, you are a God of love, of peace, of mercy, of faithfulness, and of grace. And as we come before this table this evening, Father, thank you that all of those characteristics are present in us. Father, thank you that you made us in your image. Father, thank you that you sent your Son to walk among us, to live a life with the same, the same tests, the same worries, anxieties, the same pressures as we go through today. And so, Father, we know that we can have confidence as we share these elements together, as we remember that that same son who grew into a, a great teacher was so much more than that as he went to the cross, willingly, as his body was was wounded in so many ways, as his suffering continued, he never wavered, as his blood flowed to the point that he breathed his last, he remained faithful. He remained strong. He remained true. And he did all of that for us. So, Father, it is with hearts full of gratitude that we come before this table this evening. In your presence. Not because we have earned the right. No one can earn the right to share these elements, but because freely and openly, through your grace, you allow us to. It's your gift to us. Father, thank you for this gift, which we now will share together as a fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we remember that evening as the disciples gathered with Jesus in Jerusalem, in the upper room. Remember Jesus taking the bread and as he broke it, he said, this is my body 
broken for you. And although, as some people rightly say, bones weren't broken, if we'd borne witness to the body that was taken down from the cross, I don't think we'd be disputing that broken was an appropriate word to use. So if you're not a follower of Christ, then please just let this pass you by. That's the respectful and right thing to do. And our prayer is that one day you will come to know him as your personal saviour. Can I have two servers, please? Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Nick. same way Jesus took the wine and as he poured he said this is my blood poured out for you and that statement is as true today as it was then Jesus' blood was spilt for us it was poured out for us like any liquid as it as it spread out at the base of the cross it would have filled every every nook and cranny soaked into every crevice of the ground It entered the earth. And it's never left the earth. Jesus' blood was spilt for us. And so, as the cups are passed around, we'll retain them and then drink together as a fellowship. With grateful hearts in recognition of the price that was paid to atone for our sin so that our confidence is one through the blood of Jesus, that we can be washed clean. Let's share together.